Welcome to Heart Talk. I'm your host, writer, educator, and creator, Tracy Michelle. Between 2009 and 2018, I traveled thousands of miles as a speaker, even though I hated to fly, even though I struggled with the networking that inevitably comes with these speaking engagements. I'm just not the person to just walk up and introduce myself to someone. It's, it's very challenging for me. I'm you know, fine on a stage. I'm fine once I get to know you. I'm fine in the classroom. But there's something about that small talk that's required that I struggle with. I traveled because I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller. I had something that I needed to share. And I'm grateful for everything each city and every opportunity taught me. But deep down, I also know that a part of me took to those stages because I believed that I had to perform to be accepted, to be loved. There was a yearning for validation of my worth. I defined myself by something that was impossible for me to sustain long term. Of course, I'd let small glimpses of my authentic self shine through, but I think it was always done with this wringing of hands, wondering if they, whoever they happened to be, would get it. In 2018, I began to just let all of that go. I began a spiritual journey that has truly unraveled me in the best of ways. It was also during this latter season that the seed for what would become heart space and heart talk was born. This is when things begin to change for me. And now I'm preparing for another monumental pivot. At least it seems big for me. And I wonder sometimes, folks, will they get it? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But it's all good. Because no matter what, that soul nudge is just too great to ignore. And at this point, I wouldn't want to anyway. To be clear, I'm still a work in progress. I still battle impression management, right? If I'm honest, I'm wondering right now what you think about me as a result of that admission. But this pandemic, this season of COVID-19 is teaching me that life is just too short and the stakes are entirely too high to not live the life I was born to live. And so that's why I'm really excited about this second season of episodes here at Heart Talk. If there was a theme that keeps showing up in all the interviews that I've conducted so far, it has to be that it's time for some of us to pivot on purpose. That's what today's gift of a guest did. Michelle Richard has been a leader in the legal field, retail, and transportation industries, respectively, for over 20 years. Throughout her career, she has brought passion, innovation, and inclusivity to every role, whether through implementing large-scale change, through advocacy, incorporating social justice initiatives into corporate culture and best practices, empowering others, and pushing back against long-held tropes to implement systemic change in fields and in industries where she was oftentimes the only woman and only person of color at the table. She has led the human resources function for over 75,000 employees for a multi-billion dollar Fortune 5 company, as well as served as a chief human resources officer for a billion dollar organization. Michelle has been a staunch champion of diversity and equality by spearheading industry-wide diversity initiatives, establishing first-ever affinity groups, collaborating with national organizations to establish days of service and remembrance for military service members, and facilitating best practices in the industry for retention and recruiting of women. Her efforts and passion culminated in being awarded the Top Woman to Watch in Transportation in 2019. 
I've known Michelle for many, many years. We went to college together and are from the same hometown. She's always been that accomplished and driven. And in this interview, you hear us talk a little bit about that, about her drive, especially what happens when you are driven to switch gears entirely, which is something that she has done. My hope and prayer is that this episode truly blesses you. If so, please don't hesitate to share, comment, and subscribe. Now, let's dip into the conversation. Hey, Michelle. Hi. How are you? Ah, just like everybody else, surviving. <laughs> I know that's right. I got to figure it out, yeah. You know, when we open up our, you know, our show here at Heart Talk, we always ask um, our guest, how's your heart? And I think that's um, an even more, I think, profound question in the light, in light of COVID-19. So I'm going to ask you, How's your heart today? Well, it's really pertinent for me because I live in Georgia. Mm. So we've been in the news a little bit lately, not in a good way, um, because we have a, um, I, I don't want to call him a leader, but we have an individual in a certain position of power who stole the election, who now is making decisions for people that are literally life and death. And what is guiding his decisions is not what's best for the people, but really and truly how he can balance the budget, how he can gain and curry favor with the current person at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, and he's doing these, you know, making these decisions and really and truly seem to be an utter disregard of the human capital and loss of life, right? Um, and it's interesting because here, you know, uh, last Friday he opened, what was it? Hair salons and nail salons and massage parlors. And this past Monday, he opened it, he opened up restaurants and they were dying in. And mind you, this is the same um, low info individual who basically did not realize that asymptomatic individuals could uh, carry COVID-19 and otherwise infect other people. And this is also kind of adding more to this toxic stew of misinformation and Trumpian discord is the fact that uh, we don't have enough tests. It's very inadequate. He didn't talk to any of the mayors before he made this decision. Certainly didn't talk to Keisha Bottoms, who, you know, as we all know, Atlanta is kind of the um, propulsion, right, and fuel that really and truly takes Georgia from being Georgia to being, um, I don't know, I'm going to say Mississippi. Hopefully they don't get mad at me. But, wow. <laughs> but that's hey. the <laughs> But I am from Kentucky. I know, I'm from Kentucky, so I'll, I'll switch it up and say right. Kentucky. <laughs> um, but everybody knows Atlanta. So I say all this to say is that um, against that backdrop, the governor's mansion isn't open for tours. And right. you go on the website, it essentially says that out of an abundance of caution and with uh, safety in mind for individuals who can come. So you kind of have this interesting just, juxtaposition where he has utter disregard for people who need his help. Um, they're reaching out to him. They really just want him to perform the bare minimum functions of his job. And he's incapable of doing so because he's callous. He's necropolitical is the word that I learned today um, when death kind of drives somebody's political leanings. And I really feel as though that is an astute observation of him. Um, and we're just all kind of stuck and caught up in it. The interesting thing is, is that when you go around here, because I live in the suburbs, I see an increase now in people wearing masks and mm -hmm. nobody behind his decision. And I live in a fairly conservative kind of, I'm not going to call it a hamlet, it's a little bit more than a hamlet, but it's relatively conservative and nobody's happy with it. So you don't, we don't know who his intended audience is because the president threw him under the bus last week and basically disavowed saying that this was a good idea. So he's really on his own, but like most who are incalcitrant and incapable of admitting when they make a mistake, he just kind of pushed through this. So long story short, if you're <laughs> get back to your question, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, we're all adjusting um, because none of this is um, singular, right? I mean, you're really kind of stuck in this 
situation where politics is blending with life, is blending with health, is blending with mortality, is blending with wellness, is blending with mental health, is blending with your kids being successful, is blending with your family dynamic, is blending with all these pre-existing conditions you may have relative to depression, is blending with your ability to provide. And it's just uncomfortable. But I think that as it relates to my family, we've been clear on what our priorities are. My youngest who has asthma has not left this house in five weeks and she will not leave this house at all. I don't care what Kemp says, I will not be following his political motives. I will be following medical advice from professionals when we decide to leave. So um, we're, we're good, we are adjusting, um, but we're having to adjust a little bit in the limelight because being in Georgia, you kind of have this test case for poor leadership, right? It's kind of right. playing out um, because you see the numbers in Fulton County, you see the numbers in Albany, you see the numbers in Decatur, and you see how people are dying and the person who's supposed to care, who's supposed to um, take care of people, who's supposed to kind of be the, the leader um, to elicit calm, right? And be a voice of uh, wisdom and be a, a sagacious, you know, administrator is just woefully incompetent and unable to do it. So, because we apparently haven't paid him enough money. If we pay him enough money, maybe he'll care. But <laughs> without that, um, we're all adjusting. Um, the girls are doing good in school. They're doing great, um, but I'm not- And let me just it. say, let me just say to the audience, your girls, these are like brilliant, amazing, like do all the things, stellar <laughs> type kids. Like never in your life will you ever find three teenage girls who are just straight up like beasts at whatever they do. Like seriously, you are congrats mama <laughs> and daddy <laughs> for doing, doing the most with these babies. All oh, this funny because I'm so used to being busy and we're right. so used to 100 miles per hour. I look at them sometimes, I was like, shouldn't you be doing something? Like, I mean, <laughs> you go outside, I mean, go work out, you know, because right. I'm just not used to them um, settling and just being. And one of the things that we've had to adjust to is that, you know, because sometimes as a family, and I'm really gonna shut up in a second, but um, what I discovered when I was working, when my husband was working, when the girls were in school, we kind of, we hovered around each other, right? Um, it was difficult to kind of just sit in the moment, to sit and uh, really invest, right, in having a conversation and sitting still and in breathing because you're moving. And being in this space now where you do have the opportunity, you know, where um, I was one of the people, and I'm ashamed to say it, you saw the post on Facebook, I had this whiteboard of a schedule and it was, you know, they're going to do this and they're going to do this. <laughs> I, listen, I don't know what time they go to bed. That's <laughs> how they go to bed. I mean, as long as they get the stuff done that's supposed to get done, I'm not going to taskmaster them like we were pre-COVID. So that way they're stressed. They already have anxiety and always have to be cognizant and sensitive to that because these kids are adjusting too. This isn't easy for them. They're not around their friends. They're not in school. They're home, but I have these assignments. And it's hard for them. So I really had to back off of, you know, my type A, you know, drive, 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 push, push, push type of parenting and just let them exist. Yeah, um, yeah they don't clean up the kitchen like they should. And yeah, they may not wash the dishes like they should. There's only so many seconds a day I feel like yelling. Past that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm done, you know, I will literally be yelling all the time. That's not fun for anybody. And I don't work in corporate anymore. And part of the reason why I don't work in corporate anymore is because I'm not supposed to be bringing this stuff home anymore. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to be more in tune and I'm supposed to, my emotional IQ relative to being at home is supposed to be higher. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to yeah. do that anymore. So no, I mean, I give them a lot of leeway. They're good kids, like you said. Um, Haley's not swimming right now. Um, Mackenzie's not dancing right now. Ailey was canceled for the summer. so. That was a bit of a heartbreaker. Um, Sophia is gifted and was supposed to go to Duke Tip for this summer. That was canceled. So we'll be in the house. Right. For a while. 
Yeah, <laughs> right. No matter what Kemp says. <laughs> well, we're not leaving until June. And even then, June isn't even, we're going out the door. June is, let's consider where we are from um, a progression standpoint. Let's see how many tests we really have. Let's see whether the problem has progressed or gotten worse, and then we'll make a call. But for now, we're not going anywhere. Which is why I'm on all the time. Well, <laughs> well, the thing is, is um, we we're we're in the exact same position. I'm on day 47. Um, I, I remember walking into my classroom and my students laughing at me because I had gloves on. I mean, I was an early adopter. I was like, "What?" Oh, and they were like, and I told them, "I don't know what the college is going to do, but um, I'm gonna tell you what I'm going to do." Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, "I can't believe you're doing this. I can't." I said, "Listen." And literally now I'm, I'm having conversations with them on, you know, Zoom or whatever. And they're like, you called it, you called it. I, I'm like, listen, I'm not playing any games. We are on day 47. And fortunately for you, Michelle, um, you have three teenagers who can talk amongst themselves. I got an eight-year-old who's the only child. <laughs> Me and her daddy are her best friends. <laughs> You're everything. You're everything. You're, you're the entertainment. You're the teacher. You're the BFF. You're the, the enemy. You're everything. I, I wish the audience could see my face right now. <laughs> yes, we are. We are all those wonderful, glorious things. Insert sarcasm emoji here. Um, so let I want to trans. I want to transition just a little bit because I've known you for amount of years, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for the audience, um, we grew up in the same town and went to the same college together. And um, you are essentially the quintessential success story. You know, we, if we go by the book. I remember back in college, I mean, uh, Michelle would, you know, she did study abroad in Spain. And it, it never occurred to me that, oh, like, you can do that? Like, you know, you were doing all of the things, uh, well-read, well-educated, um, a, a lawyer, an attorney by trade. Um, I would love for you to just talk a little bit about what you think people don't get about this, you know, quote-unquote success story, what they don't understand. Because we can talk a lot about, oh, you did X, Y, and Z, but what do people not understand about the sacrifices and the things that you've had to do to have the kind of success that you've had? Ooh, goodness. I sound impressive the way you... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, consider, Girl, bye, you know. <laughs> in fact, that my shoes don't match right now. That's actually... That sounds pretty I, what, I, what I may need to do is just get you mad because I'm going to tell you right now, if you get her mad, she will read you so eloquently. <laughs> you, you will not even realize you're cut until you see blood. <laughs> so, but you know, I've, I've, I've always been a writer. You know, and, and it took a professor when I was at UK, um, and this kind of this kind of pivots to the question that you asked you, is um, I've always had a cheerleader somewhere, right? Mm. Uh, my parents didn't go to college, um, so I was one, I was, you know, the first to go to school. I didn't have anybody to help me fill out the papers. I didn't have anybody to help me to understand the process. But along my journey, I've always had one person who has advocated for me and that makes a big difference and I know you hear all the time about mentoring and you know sometimes it feels very um sterile and like you know it's just a buzzword it doesn't mean anything and you don't even have to give yourself that sort of title but if you just take somebody and just share with them what you know what you've experienced just be available to answer questions that makes a difference and I think that that was the big difference in my life is I never thought about being a lawyer, but I knew I was a, uh, I could write. Um, I never really thought I would be in a position where I could, you know, do oral arguments and, you know, make presentations to facilitate the way I do now because I had a debilitating stutter when I was growing up. Um, but it took a professor to sit me down and he was like, you're a great writer. Have you ever thought about law school? And I promise you that changed my life. Wow. And I don't even know if he even knows the impact he had on me, but the fact that he even thought enough of me to even put that the, that potential in front of me, because I had never thought that. I thought I was going to do what everybody else in my neighborhood did, right, which is basically you graduate from high school, maybe you go to college, maybe you don't, but you get a job, and that's just the job you have, and you get married, you have some kids, and that's kind of it. 
-hmm. And I thought really and truly that's kind of what my path would be. But that being said, I always knew kind of the back of my head that that's not necessarily what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So as you're kind of going through this journey, you kind of have to decide for yourself what path you're going to take. Are you going to take the path that's kind of laid out for you, maybe has least resistance to it, maybe the one that's a little bit more comfortable because it looks familiar to you and you're not really going to struggle with it because you identify with it and that's what you've seen. Or do you step out on faith? Do you really and truly take heed to what your advocates or your mentors or maybe the people who know something a little bit different uh, maybe see something in you that maybe you don't see in yourself? Do you step out on that and do something different? And that's essentially what I did because when I did start law school, I was an admin for this real estate company. And I remember when I told her when I quit because school was about to start, she told me, she was like, you're, you're not going to be successful. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're supposed to be a, a secretary, you know, you're, you're a pretty face. You're young. This is kind of what you're supposed to be doing. What are you wow. doing? Um, and thankfully I ignored her. Um, and I just, you know, I don't want to say you into it, but you kind of do. But when you intuit your way through things, you're going to make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes, but by grace, he has always pulled me back and let me get back up when I do make those mistakes. And my prayer always is that I don't internalize those mistakes, but I learn from them. I take the good from it. I cast out the bad and I share my journey with somebody else. So um, I, I don't know how successful I've been, but I know that I've always just made an effort. I know I've always worked hard. I know I had no blueprint. I had nobody giving me kind of, because you, you see this in other demographics is the best way I can describe it. <laughs> where, where they had an uncle that's a judge, a grandfather that's a judge, their father's a judge and their legacy and they have jobs lined up for them. I had none of that. I almost failed legal research and writing when I was in law school because I didn't know how to write like a lawyer. I was still writing like I had always written. And how I had always written had always been A, A plus and, and amazing. And I get to school and I get slapped down and I basically get told that you don't know how to write. So I had to learn and adapt. I had to reframe some things, change my perspective, gather from what she was saying, what I thought would be the most helpful to me and pivot kind of what the whole purpose of this conversation is today. And after that experience, when I was practicing, I was my firm's brief writer. And I was a really good writer. I've written briefs to the Supreme Court. I've written briefs to the 11th Circuit, 5th Circuit, 3rd Circuit, et cetera. Um, and when you think though, where I started with the stutter, with not really having any um, logistical or financial support um, and where I kind of landed, it's all because I had some help along the way. I had people who believed in me, but the bigger thing is I believed in myself and in believing in myself, I gave myself room to fail, but also know that if you do fall, you got to get up, you got to learn from it. And what you learn from it, you got to make the improvement and then you got to move forward. Don't get stuck in something. Don't, you know, let yourself get mired in, oh, I messed that up. Mm -hmm. Move on. You know, yeah. learn from it, move on, and go on to the next thing. But my kids are going to have it easy. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, right. my kids have two lawyers. You have no excuse. Like, right. you literally have no excuse. Any encumbrance that's put on you is one that's societal and you have no control over anyway. And you just, like every other person who looks like you, you're going to have to succeed despite that. Or it's one that you put on yourself because you have all this potential in the world and you have wasted it. Yeah, I, I, I love, I, first of all, I'm, I'm a firm believer in mentorship. And so the idea that you had someone adv advocating for you is huge. And I love what you said about not internalizing mistakes. Toni Morrison <clears throat> has said, you know, and I quote her all the time, that failure is just information. It's just information that you're going to use to leverage for the next thing, right? And without it, you really can't go on to the next thing without making those, you know, mistakes or failures or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I really, I, it's amazing though, because there had to have been a balance between 
having people who believe in you and believing in yourself because I'm like I said I've known you for a long time and you've always conveyed confidence right like you've always had you know even if there was some fear or something or behind it you always gave the face of confidence so you it, it, there was that you know I feel like there was a sense of this is hard but I'm I'm bigger I'm better than this I can overcome it whatever it is right mm -hmm. I mean and that might have just been my perception on the outside like it might have been totally not it but I, I think that there's something to be said about acting as if <laughs> you know right. I, I completely agree and I you know but I hate to lose right mm -hmm. like, I'm competitive and I don't know where that came from I don't know how that came for somebody who at her core is an introvert um, and kind of, well, I've already told you my dream, right? Which is the bookstore on the beach where I sell flip flops, right? Um, and I'm by myself. I mean, my kids are around somewhere, but, <laughs> but <laughs> <my husband's somewhere. laughs> right. I'm, I'm existing, right? I'm centering. Right. And um, now I, I think a couple of things to that is I, I am loved. Mm. And I have always known that forever. My parents may not have went to college, but I tell you what, my parents pour so much love and so much attention and so much care into me, I knew I was going to be okay. Now, even when I was on the, you know, I was a section 16 officer being in that position, I could call my parents and tell them what was going on. And I didn't call them because I expected them to um, dissect the issue and give me career advice. I called my mama so my mama can go off about the person that was making me angry and she could shore me up that way and give me, you know, that, that confidence and stuff I needed to, you know, flip my hair, clip my heels and go on to the next thing. So I think that's a big difference is, yes, I had the kind of subject matter, you know, advocates that really helped me along in my career, but my parents have just been my backbone and my husband now is one of my biggest cheerleaders. You know, I, I, I've just always been loved and I've never questioned that and I've always appreciated what my parents have sacrificed for me and because of that I've never wanted to lose never if I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it the best I can my name is a lie to me mm. so I'm not gonna do nothing bootleg not intentionally I'm not gonna do anything that's going to make me look bad or make you look bad because right. I, I put the same pressure on myself when I was the only officer at the company it was me and if I mess this up they're not gonna hire somebody. They're not gonna hire somebody black. They're not gonna hire another black female for this role. So I gotta make that right and make sure that I bring some people along with me. So I think that's maybe it came across as confidence. I think what it was is just my foundation was solid. Mm. It was because even if I did mess up, I was still loved. I'd go mm. home, my mom and my daddy would love on me. You know, I mess up now. My husband's still gonna love me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I messed up my eyebrows. My husband still loves me. <laughs> Yo, that, that is a word. And for everyone who's listening, like seriously, the idea, and you may not have parents that, you know, love you in this way. I mean, that's real talk, right? Like you might not have a spouse that, or a partner that loves you, you know, in this way, but there is something inherent in that you are loved, that God loves you, that there is, and, and holding and embracing that can create a foundation of every other thing that you that you do. So I, man, that's, that's really dope. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about being the only, the only period, right? Um, you just recently, <laughs> recently, you just made a pivot in your career. Um, a shocking one. Even I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Like, you know, you call <laughs> me. I was like, did you, did you leave your gig? Like, you know, what's going on? Um, and, you know, I, I call it a kind of retirement, um, but I, I, of course, I don't, I'm not saying you retired, but um, you left corporate and what was really like, a, just from the things that we've talked about was a challenging situation. You know, I'd love for you to share with our audience what drove your pivot. Like, you know, the sky's the limit at this point. You can do all the things, maybe not all the things because of COVID right now, but, you know, you could do all of the things. How did you come to the conclusion that, yo, it's time to go? I got to go. Oh, my God. Well, and, and you and I have had multiple conversations um, where I've kind of shared some of my frustration with you is um, 
I'm trying to think the best way to describe it, but you get to a certain point in your career where it's not about the money. And I know that sounds really um, asinine and a whole lot of privilege kind of packed into that, but it really does get to a point where um, the transaction is not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I delivering? What am I getting? How am I being treated? Am I being respected? Am I being um, cared for, nurtured? Am I in a position where I can care for and nurture others? How is this impacting my family? How is this impacting my spirit? What is the tax and the cost that I'm willing to take on to make this work? Um, Because one of the things that I do, or I've always done, of course, in my career, I always kind of have these these check-ins with myself, right? Um, And at the time that you and I were at Essence, one of the check-ins that I did with myself a little bit previous to that, because as you know, I had a, a few things going on, is what's it worth to me? right? Um, I know where I need to be. I know what I need to do. I also know where I am. Um, And all things considered, what am I willing to do to protect myself and get myself out of this? And I was willing to do a couple of things to protect myself. Um, When you are the unicorn, when you are the only, um, you tend to absorb some of those same attributes because you have to, to survive. I can't be, you know, Michelle, who likes to read, um, who's a mommy, who likes to sit and snuggle with her kids because I'm surrounded by people who have stay-at-home wives. They don't care about me being a mother. And if I talk about being a mother too much, they're going to start looking at me like I'm an all-pair instead of an executive who's probably the smartest person in the room at any given point in time, right? So um, I constantly had to balance, always auditioning for this job, um, putting forth this facade of confidence and kind of like the imposter syndrome, I guess, which is really popular now, which you hear a lot about, um, putting that down inside of me so that didn't come out and playing at their level. And one of the things that I discovered is they're all fine when they do it, but if you do it, then it becomes a problem. It's, uh, it's fine for them to think they're smart. How they, how dare I think I'm smart? And I know I'm smart. I know I'm smarter than you because I know that you misuse that term. I know that you can't add. I know that your department budget is wrong. I know that you hired your girlfriend's cousin to come work here. I know what the law says. You don't. But I'm constantly having to audition to prove to people who honestly are not as smart as me, not as gifted or as talented as me, that I deserve to be there. And again, when I have these check-ins with myself, what is it worth to me? Well, you make a lot of money. Okay, fine. I'm willing to do it for this amount of time. Had another check-in with myself. Okay, you still make this money, but it's really starting to impact you at home because the stress and the anxiety, you are starting to internalize it. And you said you were never going to do that, but you're starting to do that and you're turning into them. You're turning a little mean, a little snarky, a little um, callous, probably a little conservative, um, and you're kind of taking more steps than what we're comfortable with away from your true self. Then I did another check-in and I said, I'm done. Mm. And with all that being said, um, part of the conversation, again, depending on what level and what position you're in, you can have that conversation. You can walk away with a lot of money and it worked out. And I'm just going to let y'all read between the lines of that. You know, you said something that really just like you said, you have to, you know, you get to a point where the transaction is not good enough. And I feel like, you know, even in, even in the creative world, like in the world that I'm in right now, and there's a lot of creative storytellers, writers, who artists or whatever that listen to this podcast, um, I think at some point you do, um, you know, think about the money, right? Like, I know I can write this and get this amount of dollars. I know that I can just sit and grind out on my laptop and just write about anything that's coming across the newswire or the, the, the latest think piece, right? And get a couple of dollars. And I, I think that, um, especially when you get to a certain point in your career, 
Because I think like, even as you said, you know, there is a time when you do that, right? There is a time where you're trying to establish yourself. There is a time where you're making your way up the ladder, so to speak, and you do that kind of thing. Um, but I think even for me, most recently, I made a decision that I want to write about the things that I care about only. Like the transaction of, oh, I can get, you know, $500 here or $1,000 here for this or for that. It just wasn't enough anymore because I'm putting my name on any old thing. And I think, you know, a lot of um, artists feel the same way. It's like, I could take this commission, I can take this job, I can take this whatever, but how is it serving me? How is it fulfilling me? How is it, uh, well, how does it align with what my long-term passion happens to be? So you're talking about, you know, being on the beach and bookstore and girl, I might be like two, two miles over. <laughs> that's, that's part of my dream farm you know so come get your vegetables for me <laughs> but um you know like how does the the trajectory that i'm currently on does it lead me to that thing that i ultimately want and i think a lot of people find that like damn no that's not what's happening right now and you know we did i remember at essence fest we were talking about that um and sort of the concessions that you make along the way you know, I call it the mediocre white man syndrome, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you know very well who you are. I mean, that I'm in academia and it's the same thing. You know, I'm looking at the people like, for real, like you really question this theory that's been around for 40 years just because black folks came up with it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and I know good and well you don't know who Derrick Bell is in critical race theory. You have no idea who, who he is, but you're mad because it's making sense for the era that we're in and for what we're teaching our predominantly Black students. And I am going off on a tangent right now because this is the wow. stuff that, <laughs> that we deal with. So I think across every sort of industry or, or whatever, you, you, we see this idea of having to contort ourselves into this thing in order to be successful. And I, you know, I go back to what you said, sometimes the transaction is just not enough anymore. Right, and, and, and you're not in alignment. I think that's so key what you said about alignment. Mm -hmm. And I did get to a point where I was out of alignment with myself. I mean, my spirit was heavy. I don't like having to play the games and the machinations, right? And all the politics associated with it. My work should be enough. It shouldn't matter if I don't go you don't talk to you every day or if I don't invite you to lunch or if I don't talk to your wife. I mean, my work should speak for itself. And that's really what merit is about. But what you discover is that whole meritocracy, pull yourself by your bootstrap, it's crap. <laughs> it is fan fiction because none of them do. None of them ever have. And I found myself finally at a point where it just wasn't enough where the money was great, but guess what? I can get that money another way. Because again, I'm smarter than you. So I can <laughs> no, see it another way. Um, because I know my words, I know my value, and I know right now you are intentionally diminishing it to make me feel small, to make you feel big. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to let my kids see my spirit be this heavy. I'm not going to have it impact my marriage and have my spirit be this heavy. Life is too short. I deserve to be happy. Again, my parents poured love into me for a reason because I love myself. I'm not going to let you do this to me. So we just need to talk. Mm. I love that. And I know how you talk. Oh my God. <laughs> I tell you, they, but, but this is one of the things, and this isn't necessarily, it's not career advice by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a good thing when people underestimate you. Mm. It's a really good thing. And it, it doesn't matter if it's fiction because there's no reason for anybody to underestimate me because I'm not shy. I mean, I'm not, again, you guys can hear this. I'm not shy about uh, my gifts, about what's been given to me, about how hard I've worked. But if you look at me and see me diminutively as just a woman, just a black woman, just a mom, you're going to get cut. Mm. And that works for me because I do play well, like you were saying. I can laugh and I can joke and we can talk basketball and we can have a good time, but you piss me off, that's it. That's yeah. it. And in your mind, you might think you know what's coming, but you really don't because I thought about this six months ago. Right. So, and I had this plan since, you know, um, I don't know, October 
whenever it was. So always, and it's one of the things that we always have to do, I know you have to do too, you always got to outsmart, outthink, outperform, outprepare, out everything, everybody. And that really does get exhausting, but it's helpful because I keep everything. I have all the documents, I have all the emails, I know all the bodies. I know <laughs> all. So play with me if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> so. I knew I, I started off in corporate and um, like very early, right out of college, because I, I had the same, you know, notion. It's like, oh, you know, you graduate from college, you go get your corporate gig. And I think for me, um, it, it was, it was a lot. It was, you know, I'm working for a Fortune 500 company, and the, you know, the levels of, like you said, diminishment that you experience because your hair is a certain way or because you don't fit the particular mold. Um, I, I was just like, I can't take it. I'm just gonna be poor. <laughs> this is this ain't this ain't this ain't it. This ain't the move. But I think, you know, even then, you know, it was there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of decisions that I made. There was a lot of changes that I made in myself in order to fit in, right? Because I was in sales. So I was the face of, you know, Lucent or the face of, you know, Dun & Bradstreet. And like, it was, it was hard to be that face when that wasn't my face, right? Like that was right. not, I was wearing a mask for real. Yeah. yeah. I know that's what to me. So at Heart Talk, we always talk about, like, we believe that stories heal. Like, just you sharing. Um, I mean, I'm learning stuff that I didn't even know. And I didn't know, I know you know that. Um, <laughs> but I, I believe that, you know, whether it's like you're a creator, you're making a story, or you're, you know, telling your own personal story, giving it air, can actually um, heal and can heal other. There are people who are listening to you right now who are saying, oh snap, like what have I traded? You know, what have I traded by, you know, not your soul. I don't want to make it like it's, you know, a soul exchange, but you know, what, what am I giving up? Right. And so um, I'd love for you to just, as we kind of wrap up, talk about how this pivot, now that you're on the other side, because honey, you, you making biscuits, you, you, you got like cinnamon. It's all performing. <laughs> you got chicken and uh, chicken tikka masala. And like, I'm like, girl, like what, what is going on? And I'm not saying you weren't doing that before, but there seems to be like a, um, I love it because it seems like a release has happened, right? Like something like a valve, a pressure valve has been like, you know? And um, so talk a little bit about how this pivot has impacted your healing journey. Like, what do you dream for your future? What, what's the future for Michelle Richard? Oh God, I honestly don't know. Um, if I'm, so to be candid, right? So I'm still unpacking what I went through and it's still, I still haven't settled yet on the fact that I'm out of it, you know, because um, one of the things and you, you and I have talked about this before relative to, again, um, what working in corporate means and what, yeah, you have the genuflect or you have, a, you know, kind of uh, change yourself and become something maybe you don't, you're uncomfortable being or that doesn't sit right with you or maybe you don't even identify, but, you know, all, all that being said, um, I still have a lot of that to unpack because I was in that uniform for so long mm. and the binds were so tight and I was so castigated. <laughs> um, having this freedom, I'm uncomfortable with it. Mm. You know, so I, I haven't decided. I'm used to leading and delegating and um, facilitating and training and creating and being the executive and, you know, being the administrator and this is different for me because now I am home in the house. And what does that look like? Because who am I going to delegate to? My kids don't even listen to me. <laughs> so, you know, like nobody's checking for me in this house. <laughs> Nobody cares, you know. And I was giving my husband the example because my middle child um, had to turn in an argumentative essay. And I asked her, I was like, do you want me to help you with it? And she was like, do you even know what an argumentative essay is? What? And I was like... You know, like I had to catch myself, but she's not. Firm. Did I not go to <laughs> you law <know>, school? <laughs> like, you know, I wrote briefs to the Supreme Court, right? I mean, I think I know a little bit about how to 
write an argument. It'd be your um, own people. <laughs> but you know, but uh, that's kind of a good thing though too, right? Because my kids, they see me as mom. They don't care about mm. any of this. They don't care about the awards. They don't care about any of the other stuff. And ultimately, whatever decision I made, I made because of them. Because when I start talking about, again, unpacking and trying to um, figure out what my next journey will be, one of the things I always think back on, and my husband thinks I'm completely nuts, but I think back on when I was heavy in traveling, you know, heavy in work, um, you know, and newly promoted to a section of 16, and my kids used to have to pack their own lunch. And my kids packed crap. And I didn't have an appreciation for that because I was so busy and I was doing all the things and was all the places and was all, you know, again, there's no such thing as 50-50 at that point in time. It was probably 80-10 um, with work taken up most of the time. And I think back to that and how I was disengaged and I wasn't engaged enough to even make sure that my kids ate a vegetable. You know, I would check, I think back to a couple of things that Haley would take for lunch, maybe like a bagel and a cookie, and it breaks my heart. And I don't know why I fixate on that, but I think that is emblematic or symptomatic of just what I was trading and how it wasn't good enough then. And thank God I woke up and figured out that it's not good enough now. And no, I can't be home, you know, like, it's really good for people to stay home when the kids are babies. I've always, you know, admired that and wanted that. I couldn't do that. Now I have teenagers and I can be there. And I do. Well, they're not at school right now, but when they were in school, the, ha the, the happiest point of my day was making their lunch and making sure I snuck as much spinach as I could into <laughs> everything. You know, right. As many carrots as I could into anything. And it was, a, it'd be, you know, this organic spinach tortilla wrap with grilled chicken and all this organic stuff and Go that, it. <laughs> it, that's kind of to me it, kind of a, a marker for how I've transitioned and again I am still unpacking I'm still not comfortable being a stay-at-home mom I'm still not comfortable um, not having meetings and structures not having two phones not having something to constantly do and um, I think I have done with probably what a lot of us do is I let my job and my career define me. Yes. And I shouldn't have, but I did. Mm -hmm. So without that, as a kind of a form of definition, now I'm having to deal with who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm having to deal with who I am after I adapted and sacrificed and uh, transmogrified and did all these things. Um, and I have to reconcile that now. Because I'm not who I was, obviously, 20 years ago, a little bit heavier. Not who I was, you know, even 20 months ago. Who is this person? Um, I want to write, but I also want to sleep. I want, <laughs> you, know, you know, I want to be productive, but I also want to watch, you know, Netflix. Right. Uh, and I have to not feel bad about that. And I have to be okay with that. Because honestly, when I think about my career, what's, what's left for me to do? I mean, no, I wasn't a CEO, but... I made a big difference and I've always made sure if I'm gonna have a seat at the table, I'm gonna make sure everybody gets fed. You know, that's why my department went from being, I was the only black person, it was 50%. By the time I left, I always carried that water, always made sure people were taken care of. I mentored as many people as I could. I created opportunities for people to take care of their families, where they can break that generational poverty, where they could take care of their kids, send their kids to college, buy their kids a car. I really viewed my role as something bigger than just a title but when you don't have that what do you do now I'm mom and mom has to yell for people to get up in the morning mom has to yell for people to pick up socks and shoes and sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't um and I just have to be okay with it and so so it is to kind of answer your question because I know I'm all over the place I'm still figuring it out I don't know yet you don't realize how you're speaking to me. I, I decided to do this pivot series and asking very specific people to come on the show because I'm in the midst of my own pivot. And part of it, part of what I struggle with is exactly what you said. Is like, what do you do when you define yourself by a thing for going on two decades, right? And you feel, for me, it's feeling 
a calling to something else or something that's a little bit different. And you're like, but wait a minute, like, what about all that? Like, you know, and I, you know, I was unpacking this in therapy and, you know, my therapist had to help me, you know, kind of wrestle with the fact that who I am is not what I did or what I do. Right. And that separation is so incredibly hard, but like you, you know, I do see the impact of working all the time when my daughter pulls out a laptop and sits next to me, her little fake laptop and sits next to me and because this is how she can connect to me because I'm always on my laptop, right? I'm always writing something or doing something and she's connecting to me in the best way that she, in her eight-year-old mind, she knows how to, you know, that's, that is like a knife in the heart, you know what I'm saying? Because she shouldn't have to do that to get my attention. And so like what you're saying is re resonating with me, but also I think, you know, what you said at the closing there is, is just it. We gotta be okay with it. It is okay. It is okay to be in one season. It's okay to be in the next season and it is okay to be in between seasons, right? Like to be in between and in the space of figuring it out or just allowing ourselves to be still long enough to embrace the healing that has to happen from all the stuff from before, right? So that you can be the best possible person that you can be for the next thing, whatever that next thing, if it's, you know, you know, I'm trying to get you to write a book, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got Netflix, you know? <laughs> Netflix book, Netflix. <laughs> no, I get that. And you know, it's so funny because my final question to you is a question that for this second season, I've been asking people to very succinctly um, answer this question and maybe like a few words. And I kind of feel like you already did, but I'm gonna ask you anyway, because it's on my list of things to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, who is Michelle Richard? Oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, listen, Scott. Anymore. I, I don't know. I know she's somebody who um, is trying to take better care of herself. Mm. Um, somebody who previously never went to the doctor, but I would take my kids if they sneezed to cough. Um, now I am taking better care of myself. I am working out. I am um, trying to position myself where I'm going to be around for a long time because I got to make sure all this I've invested in these girls um, comes to fruition like it should and they don't mess anything up. <laughs> out there. Um, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I know that I have spent so much of my time defined by a title, and like you said, defined by what I did. I was exceedingly proud of the fact that I was a lawyer. I was exceedingly proud of the fact that I was an officer. I was exceedingly proud of the, the money that I brought to the table. Um, now that I don't necessarily have those definitive kind of finite things, it's scary. Because like you said, it, the world really is, it's completely wide open. Yeah. But how do you capitalize and leverage that when you've spent so much of your time, you know, here, right? Mm -hmm. How do you break that open and figure out where you're supposed to be? Mm -hmm. um, because there's comfort in this, you know, there, there's comfort in being in a confined space. There was comfort in knowing what my job was um, and knowing how that job impacted my life and knowing how that job reflected me. Now I don't have that. Now I have to define myself by my relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm defined by being a mom. I'm defined by being a wife. Well, what does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. My kids are teenagers. Um, they go from being monosyllabic and not have anything to say to all of a sudden they won't take a breath for 30 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and how do I put myself, you know, how, how do I position myself to, to be there and how do I still be authentic when I don't even know at this point what authentic is? Mm. I'm not an officer. You know, I'm not delegating anymore. Um, I'm a mom and I'm defined by emotion and I'm defined by what's not academic and what's not sterile or clinical, what is scary and confusing and what really matters. And I don't have an answer. And how do you navigate that? I, I, thank you. Because I think people need to hear that. I think people, we open this conversation with talking about how successful you are, 
right? And how well-read, what educated, and all, all the things, right? All the titles. And I think people who are just like you, you know, you know, God bless need, <laughs> who need to hear exactly what you said. I don't know, you know, because they, they, and, 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 and be like, okay, it's okay to not know. I know you may not feel like that right now, but I'm telling you, the audience can't see you, but I was, she's looking at me like the hell. But I go in my closet now, right? And I have a lot of nice clothes because part of um, having a uniform was I had to have the nice clothes. Um, I have nice shoes. I sell my shoes. But I, I hope to never wear those clothes again. Mm. And I go in there now and I literally want to pick them all up and throw them out of the house, which would be financially stupid and not, you know, liberated at all. I'm a price to sell on eBay, but that's, that's <laughs> who I am. And I get very uncomfortable even looking at them mm. because that's not who I am anymore. I don't want to wear that wrap dress or those shoes or you know god those spanks like i don't want to wear any of that stuff anymore um and i so at least i've transitioned and progressed past that right like, where i don't need the trappings and the uniform so i've at least transitioned past that i've at least transitioned to recognizing my health is paramount and i have to take care of myself and i love to read but i don't always want to read and sometimes i read good books sometimes i read trash Sometimes I don't even like reading subtitles, right? So I, I have to be okay with all these contradictions that I'm facing right now and realize they're not contradictions, it's just pieces of who I am. Mm -hmm. Like you said, all okay. Um, but I am going to sell the clothes. I ain't wearing them. <laughs> so I, I got a, a few more pounds before I can get down into her clothes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, keep, keep them Tory Burr sandals uh, that you had. <laughs> I, I, listen, when I tell you I'm about to have to tell, I'm for real. And, and you'd be surprised because I went through a, a tear relative to wanting to look the part. And, I, and us, I'm speaking to us, we get really caught up in how we look. Yeah. We don't put as much attention into how we feel, right? So I was very caught up on looking the part. I mean, I, my clothes were nice. They're designer, cost a lot of money. I looked the part, my hair was laid. You see, my hair is in, in braids. I have gray hair. I got a little <laughs> I had all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and I just, but I think that's why going in that closet triggers me. Mm. Because that was one of the things I paid for, right? When you're talking about cost and what the tax yeah. is, I put a lot into that. And I put a lot of myself into this uniform. When it all came down to it, it doesn't mean anything. Mm doesn't mean anything so it again it's I, I will if you go to the main part of the closet now it's like leggings and sweatshirts so I just want to share something with you that my uh therapist told me because I I think I had the same perspective in that like you know if I pivot if I change if I go into this other season this new thing that I want to do um that somehow the things that I did before doesn't mean anything. And she had to correct me. And she said, it, it, it informed you for a particular season in your life. And so there are things that you have learned that you understand about the world that you not because of that time period that you spent as a lawyer, as an officer, et cetera, that you now get to invest in your daughters that had you not gone through that, you would not have been able to give them that information. Right. They, there's, there, there is an equipping that you have, not just for your daughters, but for that book you write, for that, uh, <laughs> for, you know, for the podcast that you're doing right now and whatever else you decide, may decide to do down the line. So I think we have to shift our thinking and not think of it as, oh my God, these clothes represent something that didn't mean anything. Those clothes represent a season in your life that taught you enormous lessons like huge lessons that you would have not you personally the person you are your person your character would not have gotten otherwise right, right? and 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 i think that kind of frees us up a little bit because then it doesn't feel like a waste 
<laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like, oh, you know, there's $20,000 worth of clothes here. And, you know, what does it all mean? You know, we're not saying that to ourselves. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's and, hard though, because it, it does. It feels, I think I feel confined when I mm -hmm. go in. And that's just so contrary to where I am now. I feel confined and formal um, and fake, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. And again, it's. It's, it's very different. I mean, I, I had to wash my face today. I'm not going to tell you how long it I did that, you know? And I guess that's why it makes me so, the, the discomfort is, is, discomfort rather, is there. Uh, but no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it, there are seasons, and I've just transitioned out of that season. Um, and I'm excited about this new season. I'm a little scared, but I'm also really excited um, about what it means for my family, what it means for my future. This is, you and I have talked, this is probably the happiest I've ever been mm -hmm. uh, because you put pressure on yourself. Uh, then you want to take care of people and you get pressure from that. And then you feel like you're, I'm going to say, role model. I'm not gassing myself, but you know what I mean. I yeah, mean, for sure. Yeah, people look at you and then they put pressure on you and then you feel pressure to be a certain way. Um, and then you feel pressure to do well at home and then you feel pressure to do well at work and you feel pressure to be a good citizen. And I am unencumbered. And I don't know what Michelle unencumbered looks like. Maybe she does lay around a lot. You know, I, I know she went walking today and lifted weights. That's a good thing. That's an awesome thing. I ask myself that all the time. What does a free Tracy look like? You know, and I think that I'll spend the rest of my life unpacking that. And that's okay. You that's know? a good thing. And I'll, I'll, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation and I just thank you for uh, showing up and, and talking with the Heart Talk family. Um, I, I, my prayer is that people listen to you and they, you know, hear your heart in it um, and that, you know, take something from it because that's, that's what we try to do here at Heart Talk with Tracy Michelle. <laughs> so thank you for, thank you for showing up. Well, I love you and thank you for having me. All right, take care. Heart Talk is written and produced by my mommy, Tracy Michelle Lewis-Jiggins, for Heart Space and New Season Books and Media. Go to hearttalkpodcast.com to learn more. See you next time.